The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Vara Cooper. Vara is a storyteller, story coach, and native New Yorker. A year ago, Vara left a 10-year abusive relationship. Since that breakup, she's gone on both a mental and literal journey to learn who she is again, and in the process she found herself becoming an advocate for others struggling with abusive relationships. Hey Vara, how's it going? How are you, Brian? I'm doing pretty good, just you know, running around on a rainy day. <laughs> thanks so much for being here, though. And, Thank you for and, having me. Yeah, and thanks for sharing. Uh, what did you want to talk about today? Well, um, I met my ex-partner, Old Goat, on a ledge, and I left him on one as well. <laughs> um, and some people ask me why I call him Old Goat, and that was a nickname that he gave to himself, and I never really got a clear answer as to why. Um, but a lot of people used to tease me about it because I'm older than he is. Okay. Um, and really I just found it ironic that he would call himself the goat because in a lot of circles, the goat would be the greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the acronym or whatever. mm Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of evidence to the contrary. (laughs) It took me about 10 years to see all of it though. Man, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. On April 3rd of last year, that would be 2018, I looked at old goat and I asked him if he was willing to accept the possibility that he had a mental illness. And he told me he did have a mental illness. And when I asked him if he was willing to get help, um, it didn't really matter what answer he gave because my plans to leave were already in place. Um, During a separation in that 10 years, I had been diagnosed with PTSD three times. From this relationship? um, Probably stemming farther back in time than that, but definitely exacerbated by this relationship. Once I got that third diagnosis, it became clear Old Goat and I got back together and I wasn't getting better. And it became clear that part of that reason was because he got his thrills from keeping his finger on my trigger. Yeah. So um, he had, we had a variety of episodes through the years that, especially in retrospect, um, showed me that we'd established this pattern pretty early on. So, for example, um, he cut down a tree to make room for a garden one day, somewhere along the, along the lines, got mad, and ended up swinging that tree over his head. Jeez. And I don't know what would make you angry enough to swing a tree, but um, <laughs> it was so immemorable to me about what made him angry that it couldn't have been that serious. <laughs> there yeah, he was it's not the something tree. that's sticking with you now that like this was a big thing. It right, was just like, like, yeah, I can't say that I identified with his reasoning. Yeah. Um, there was another time where he got so mad that he started clawing at his face and chest, tore his clothes off. And we lived on a mountain in the woods at the time. So imagine this man running naked down a country road <laughs> past an alpaca farm and a white church, a church with a white steeple. And yeah. Um, it took us a while to get past it because all those claw marks had to heal. Oh, man. Um, there was another time where he chased me to my closet, and I locked myself in there as he took the door off the hinges. And this was a really defining moment because once he came in to the closet, he pushed my clothing off of me, and he found me hiding, and he crouched down, and he screamed in my face, and he spit on me, and he told me, just remember, I never laid a finger on you. 
And just like when I was diagnosed with PTSD the first and second time, my denial kicked in and I was like, well, I guess if he doesn't hit me now, he probably never will. So I guess this isn't really abuse. That became a theme. That became something he'd say to me frequently. Just remember, I'd never lay a finger on you. And uh, the last straw last, last year was um, there was another episode and he came in unannounced in the middle of the night and scared me as close to death as I've ever been. And it triggered a neurological event that um, I still have problems in my arm and my chest and stuff from it. And um, even after he came back around, um, he never apologized to me. And he did remind me that he didn't lay a finger on me, so whatever injuries I'd sustained that night were not his fault. Yeah, which they're very clearly his fault, because, uh, yeah, especially if, yeah, boy. So that was a wake-up call. Um, I spent a couple of weeks healing and planning, and so on April 3rd when I asked him um, if he was willing to get help, it was more like part of my plan to give him a sense of agency over whatever would happen. I didn't want him to know that I was already planning to leave so I covered my departure by telling him that I was going to give him room and space to breathe and make his decision, that I was taking the dog so that he would have any responsibilities, and that I'd be back. And then you were just out. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and, and so, like, I mean, I guess you're in a place where you probably haven't talked to him in this time or did like was it something where he did reach out to you after the fact or yes um i i communicated with him for a few weeks yeah um and did he try, guess, try to get help in that time or was it like at that point there was bigger things that it's a really interesting question um a large part of our relationship was him manipulating me so when he realized that I was gone and didn't seem to be coming back, he, he did try to let me think that he was trying to get help. Yeah, so still working that, like, manipulation. Mm -hmm. He was not willing to commit to anything concrete or doable. He wanted to go on a, an Outward Bound program. Is uh, that when you, like, li you're, like, in the wilderness, like, live in the wilderness as kind of like a rehab type mm -hmm, thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was going to cost upwards of $10,000 for a week. And when I told him that if I was going to spend $10,000 for a week that I'd be going to Ibiza, <laughs> he didn't appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wasn't buying it. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I guess at that point, like, especially because you've said this was such a multi-year thing, like you, it must have been a long journey for you to work up to that point to be like, I'm out, like I, to free yourself from that situation, right? To know that this is okay yeah. and that you can be away from it and it's fine. I wasn't really sure of that yet. I yeah. just knew that I, I wasn't going to get well if I stayed with him, and I knew I had to get well. Um, in the interim, also, one of our dogs was severely injured, and there was a possibility that Old Goat had played a role in that. Oh, wow. And I had to go on a business trip to Chicago, and I didn't feel safe leaving the dogs with him. Um, Carmine had had some major surgery at UPenn and was still still had stitches, still was recovering. So my plan had to include bringing my dogs with me and having a safe place for them, including 
appropriate accommodations for a post-op dog. So, um, yeah, it just kept compounding. And I just knew that, um, even once I was separated from it and he still wasn't apologizing, he still had no, um, concern about my well-being. He didn't care about anything except what I was going to do for him or give to him. And April 20th was the last time I ever spoke to him. And um, in April, I had, I had spent time in Atlanta and Chicago, Asheville, North Carolina, Upper Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Um, I was in the Lower East Side. I was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he had left me somewhat alone for a little bit of that time. Apparently, he had been doing some traveling um, and then once he ran out of resources, got tired, panicked, whatever it was, he started contacting me again pretty um, aggressively, threateningly, calling me when I when I didn't answer. He'd call my friends. When they didn't answer, he started calling my colleagues. And his network of people to reach out to was expanding. Um, and on May 18th of last year, he sh- I had gone back to North Carolina where we had been living for a long time and he showed up in town to look for me and was sending me text messages like I've got all the time in the world and nothing else to do and I'm not going to stop till I find you you know things like that oh boy or I'm you know I'm coming to find you now I hope you take that in a good way not a creepy way and yeah which you <laughs> no, there is not, a good way hard, to yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that point you're probably very scared because yeah. of this whole circumstance and you don't know who this person is at this point and you've had enough uh, at least a little bit of space away from it to be like this is not healthy and yeah yeah and having had even just a few weeks of distance um all the typical ways that he would have succeeded at manipulating me to that point now look just pathetic yeah yeah you were able Desperate. to like break down that wall a little bit and see clearer mm-hmm. of like what this person was actually doing to you for so many years. Yeah. It, which is not to say that even now a year over a year later that I don't still have my concerns or trepidations about whether I was unfair to him or if I made the right decisions on a small scale moment to moment, I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes, but I mean, there's no denying that my life is better now than it has been in a very long time without him. (laughs) Yeah, so you're you're still like I don't know if this all worked the way it it should have, but I know that I'm in a better place, and that's what I need more than anything else right now, right? There's yeah, like, I don't miss him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't wish that things had worked out differently between us. Um, I know that it was a really painful series of events that some of the choices I made did compound the difficulty of the circumstances, but knowing that my dogs and I are all safe and healthy now, and that whatever combination of factors have led to him leaving us alone. Um, I'm satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it it did get pretty exciting there um, for a while. He was actively looking for me for several months. I ended up behind him in traffic one day. um, And he was texting me to let me know that I, that he saw me. And, you know, I still live with PTSD now and I probably will on some level forever um so just the mere sight of him triggered me for two three days and i just couldn't share that that close geographical 
space with him. Um, so I left, but I didn't know where to go. <laughs> so I did more traveling. I was in Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida. I was back in Chicago. I was back in, in the Philly area, back in New York. Um, yeah, it was sort of just you trying to find, I guess, a yeah. new home, right? Because this yeah. sort of other home had been ruined for you. Right. Um, and I also, it wasn't just my home. It was everything. My identity had gotten so tied up in making this relationship work and proving just even to myself that everything I had been through with him up to that point had been worth it. And now that I had decided to abandon that plan, I did not even know who I was anymore. Yeah, because 10 years is a long time to put towards anything, right? And mm -hmm. you're putting that with a person that, even though you know that, like, this is, I have to do this for myself, it's still, yeah, you're, I, every, every so much is tied to that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, all the things that have, had changed outside of the relationship in the, during the yeah. relationship, everything that had been different. Um, so I... I did end up finding a place to live, but it left me with a gap of about 25 days with nowhere to live. <laughs> um, I thought my dogs and I could, after everything we'd been through, handle it in a hotel for a while, but after living eight years on a mountain, they did not. <laughs> it was too, too small for them. <laughs> it was too small for them. They couldn't see all the things that they could smell and hear. Yeah. So that was a little intense. So I ended up dropping them off with a friend and I spent 25 days traveling, just trying to reconnect with the people and places that had shaped who I was before he came into my life. Um, old camp friends, college friends, just people who were really meaning to, meaningful to me and who I could go and be safe in their space that old goat would never think to look for me there. And then I could look people in the eye whose opinions I, I trusted and who knew me well enough for me to ask them, who, I, who am I, who was I, and who should I try to be now? Did you find yourself in this place of like, realizing that you had lost connection with all these people over those 10 years too? Is that something that like you found yourself less and less in these people's lives that you wanted to be in sort of through this relationship? Or was that just like other things that you were just like, oh, I just want to reconnect with these people that I haven't seen in a while? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I These particular people, maybe I had not lost touch with, but I did lose a lot of people to this relationship. Several people just couldn't bear to watch especially after the last time when we separated and got back together. When I told certain people, they, they told me that they just couldn't stick it out for this time. And I respected that. I understood. Um, and really, in this case, it was about just being somewhere that I could shut my eyes and take my boots off and not worry that a sound at the door was him coming for yeah. me. Um, some of these people I had not seen in 20 years, just by the course of life going on and spreading us geographically farther away. Um, and traveling with, with Old Goat was difficult, um, and other things made traveling difficult. So I was 38 years old and didn't have anywhere to be, anybody counting on me, um, or anything really holding me back. And when I dropped my dogs off with my friend, it was probably the hardest thing I had to do all year because they were they were like my only touchstones and I didn't know what was going to happen if he would catch up with me along the way or if any other number of things could have gone wrong 
Yeah, because it's sort of the first time you are fully alone in this mm -hmm. long stretch of time and mm -hmm. just kind of being left with yourself, I guess, in that situation. It's probably like empowering in a way, but also probably very scary in a way, especially because, yeah, you have this person who could be trying to follow you. Well, I mean, I when I left, I only had one day to pack. Yeah. Um, and of that stuff, I'd left a lot of that even behind. And then I'd put what I had left in storage. So I was traveling with, you know, my dogs and a suitcase and a house plant, <laughs> my spinning wheel. Um, and other than that, everything was just so scattered. And then the next thing I knew, I left my plant and my wheel in Pittsburgh and my dogs were in Atlanta and I just had a backpack. And then I left that backpack somewhere and it was just me. And I was like, my universe has completely expanded beyond my control at this point. And I'll never forget, there was this one moment when I had come back to Chicago to pick up my backpack, pick up my stuff, went back to Pittsburgh and grabbed my sp spinning wheel and my plant, and my universe had started to contract again. And I made it to my new place. I had to go pick up my dogs. And it wasn't until the three of us were back together, even in this completely strange new place, uh, still triggered so deeply that I was checking behind shower curtains and doors every night before bed. But as I watched my universe contract again, it was... It was the most surreal feeling of comfort that I couldn't have consciously given to myself. I wouldn't have been able to anticipate that, hey, once my stuff starts to come back, once we're all back in one place, even though this is unfamiliar, that it would that it would bring me that sense of home I'd been missing. Yeah, because you sort of like, you needed the travel to find one part of yourself, but then to have all that stuff come back together to have, to sort of connect yourself, right? I guess it's like yes, I found this new part of me, but now I need to ground it to my old life and this, I guess, a new old life, but taking the parts of your old life for your new life. And what's interesting about that is that priorities change a lot um, along the way. I mean, stuff matters less to me now than ever before. <laughs> I've been living in my new place about six months now, and I still only have three teaspoons because it doesn't matter to me to have a full set. And it used to, <laughs> would have dri driven me crazy to only have three, but... <laughs> I just wash them, wash them yeah, every you time wash I use it. Yeah, them. you know that you have like a three teaspoon cycle of washing. That's right. I can't have more than two friends over for coffee yeah. or tea. Um, and that's fine. And all the cabinets in my house are empty because I just don't have any stuff to fill them with. And it's fine. So um, it's, just a, it's just so many different things. But it's a freer feeling. I'm no longer beholden to an unpredictable person who will expect everything from every cell of my existence and give so little back. And it doesn't matter what kind of chemical, preternatural attraction we had on that ledge in 2008. Nothing is worth sacrificing as much as I gave to this man in the 10 years we spent together. Um, I sometimes wonder if I if <laughs> I wonder now, like if I if I was sitting on that ledge now, what would happen differently? Yeah, if you had met this, I mean, maybe not this person, but having experienced this whole thing, meeting a similar type of person. At some point along the way, I was seeing a Zen Buddhist therapist, <laughs> and I was trying to explain to him, "You don't understand. It was love at first, before sight. It was it was so electrifying and magical and cosmic." And he's and he told me that. When you meet somebody and it seems so preordained, it's because it is. 
And according to these philosophies that he was that he was sharing with me is that when you meet someone and it seems like it's love at first sight, it's that you are confronting unresolved issues from a past life. Oh. And I don't know if I believe that or not. But whatever that feeling is, I don't want it. <laughs> I've had it. I see where it takes me. Yeah, and you're like, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. like it was a powerful feeling, but I pl- I would have rather not have it to get everything else that I got with it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, so in the in the process, when I when I left for that trip in September for those 25 days traveling, um, by then there had been a lot of people trying to keep daily check on me. And it became really overwhelming for me to tell them all individually every day. So I invited, you know, all my friends on Facebook and whoever to follow along in a private blog I set up. And every day I just started journaling and blogging about it, giving folks, you know, logistical details of where I was and some reflections on what was going on and what my plans were. And it developed into a a really interesting project for me because it gave me not only accountability of people wanting to know what I was going through every day, but also um, having really important work to do inside um, and to document all the things that were happening as a writing project. Um, And it grew and it morphed and it's changed and now that actually became uh, the bulk of the, the work that became my solo show which is called Unfucking Myself. Um, and considering that it's, it's, just, it's just been a little over a year now since I spoke to Old Goat the last time, um, I don't know that I would have been able to heal the way I did without having written about it so immediately and so thoroughly throughout the process. Yeah, it's a funny thing because it was sort of this way of being like, all right, I'm overwhelmed by all these people. Like, it's nice that these people want to check in with me, but I'm overwhelmed by it. Here's this thing. But it, you've kind of forced yourself to process it, right? Like, you're like, I have to write this stuff down. What am I actually dealing with? You have to confront it, I guess, right? Or yeah. you at least have to confront your fe- what you're feeling. Absolutely. Uh, especially when you have a whole 24 hours coming up that you're going to have to deal with a separate Yes. Shit show that's going to happen because <laughs> every day was for a while a shit show. Um, but the, the thing that really kept it going is that through the course of September when I was writing, October getting settled in, November really kind of breaking back down and kind of coming back up, <laughs> December dealing with all that holiday stuff. Um, just over time, um, through the summer before I started writing, just by sharing what I was going through with people in my circle as a storyteller in general becoming more comfortable with accepting where I was in my life and sharing that with people. Um, It turned out that people would come to me in private and say, you know, that post that you put up the other day or, oh, what you said last week or, you know, when we were talking and you said, and they were starting to reflect on what I was saying about my own life and seeing themselves reflected in it. And by the time I moved into my place and got settled there, about six different people I knew had left their partners. Wow. Because their experiences felt so close to the ones that I was sharing that they were horrified when I was sharing mine, but they were living with it and 
sort of accepting it and making excuses for it in their own lives. Um, and that's why even when I'm, I was too tired to write or when I just didn't feel like it or now that I'm a little bit saturated with all this material, that's why I still tell the stories and that's why I'm still working on the solo show is because it's bigger than me. Yeah, it's like this, it's almost this weird sense of responsibility now that you've sort of stumbled upon, but now you're like, oh, this is a purpose that I want to follow. Yeah, because when I was... I was going through this and I, I called a local women's advocacy group and told them I need help. And they offered me their food pantry, but that's not the help I needed. They offered me emergency shelter for my children, which was not what I needed because I don't have children. <laughs> um, they asked me if I was, if I needed immediate emergency medical care and I wasn't bleeding and I didn't have any broken bones at that moment. So they didn't know how to help me. Yeah. And they turned me away. Um, and that was terrifying for me because I'm really glad that they are there for the people, the women who do have children who are hungry and women who are bleeding, but because of all the different reasons, those are the only things that we see and can confirm as domestic abuse. Yeah. So we allow ourselves to stay in abusive circumstances that are just as legitimately abusive, but because we aren't those other things. It's easy for us to just kind of keep pulling the denial back over us and just say, oh, okay, I don't want to, oh, okay, if that's, oh, then I guess I'm not being abused. Yeah, it's not this thing, so I know that's okay. When Yeah, obviously, like, you, I mean, the things you described earlier when he was like, well, I didn't lay a hand on you, that still was awful circumstances that you were dealing with at the time. Yeah, and, and I don't mean to say that that advocacy group wouldn't have wanted to help me. Yeah. But the structure of their organization and other things, um, it could have been that experience of them turning me away could have been a moment for me to say, oh, you need to just go back to him um, because there was nowhere else to, for me to turn. Yeah, like there's there's people who probably go there for an answer and don't get that answer and then feel like, well, I guess I have to go back and yeah, that there are other th options. That's not just this thing or going back. Right. Um Conversely, when I went to when I went to where I was this past summer, I went. I reached out to a different women's group who treated me very differently, um, and they they were really um, they were kind of scandalized. I'm not going to lie <laughs> by how the other group uh, treated <laughs> me. They were shunned. They were shocked that they shunned me. That they turned me away. They didn't offer me any help. Um, so that's why I feel like. It is kind of my job to keep talking about it so that if more people need to hear that, yes, um, what you're going through is legitimate and valid and what you're feeling is valid and I will, I'll help anybody get help that they need um, because I know that just because their town or their county or their state may not offer that support, that doesn't mean it's not out there and that they have to keep living in whatever they're living in. Yeah, it doesn't mean that the thing that they're feeling isn't justified. Right. Because there's not somebody there to say, like, this is the, like, not that there's, a, yeah, it's a, it's just such a bigger thing that there's not this specific definition of what, I don't know, abuse is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there, there sort of is, but there's many different forms of it. Yeah, the sort of part. There sort of is. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be all-encompassing because there's a lot of behaviors that we just can't 
anticipate to work into a definition. Yeah, yeah. Pretty shocking ones like that, but yeah. And um, a lot of the times when people hear me talk about it, they want to tell me that I'm brave or that I'm a survivor. <laughs> and I like that you're laughing because I kind of want to laugh too. Well, it was more the too. face that you made because you well, were just yeah, like, this is, this is so dumb that I'm not that there's just the face you made of like, come on, really? Right, because when we're tested, we have to be brave. And we, yeah. and if we make it through to the other side, we are, we, we are survivors, but, um, I'm, I'm really hesitant to accept any praise or any glory or glamorizing of this, um, which is strange as a performer. Um, <laughs> I perform an hour of what I call trauma porn. People want to say something to me afterwards and they want to empathize and they want to say, but really I don't, I can't say for one moment that I'm any my, any anything of a better person for having gone through this? Yeah, you you wouldn't have signed up for it. If, no, if, like, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, hey, do you want to become a stronger person by going through this thing? Exactly. No, like you just were living this thing that you had to just make it through because it was right. your life. It wasn't right. And it and to say that I'm brave or that I was a survivor through it all is to is to to me it feels like some kind of prize or ribbon for doing something anybody would do yes and something that nobody would sign up to do right um and i want to make sure that everybody knows that whatever it is that you're gonna confront and face that you are just as brave and just as much as a survivor as you will need to be when the time comes yeah yeah that's powerful thank you so much for sharing that thank you um if people want to find, I know you said you have the solo show going on. If people want to find more information about uh, what you do, is w- what can you tell people that they can find online? Or um, You can connect with me on Facebook. I'm Vara Cooper, V-A-R-A. I also have a website, varacooper.com. That's V-A-R-A-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. I'm also on Instagram at, at Vara Cooper. Cool. Thanks so much, Vara. Thank you also, Brian. This is how we This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. <laughs>